Hello everyone, welcome to SNIT. Studies in National and International Development is the longest running weekly interdisciplinary seminar series at Queen's University. Since 1983, SNIT has proudly hosted prominent Canadian and international scholars who bring fresh perspectives to issues of local, national, and global development. Please share our podcast with friends, family, and colleagues. We're glad to have you with us. Uh, hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to the fifth SNED uh, event of this academic year. On behalf of co-chairs, myself, Aicha Tomach, and Carolyn Prowse, uh, I welcome you to the longest-running interdisciplinary seminar, se seminar series at Queen's University. Uh, since 1983, SNED has proudly hosted prominent Canadian and international scholars who bring fresh perspectives to issues of local, national, and global development. Uh, and this year uh, has been no exception. Uh, we have two more events this term, uh, which I will share on the chat momentarily. Uh, SNED is hosted by Queen's University, which sits on the traditional territories of the Haudenosaunee, Confederacy, and Anishinaabeg Nation and continues to benefit from ongoing colonization uh, in the forms of extractions of resources, knowledges, and practices of indigenous peoples, not only in Kataraki, uh, but around Turtle Island. Uh, on behalf of SNED, uh, who are settlers, who, uh, SNED hosts who are settlers on this land, uh, I would like to reiterate that SNED is committed to amplify the voices of scholars, activists, and artists who study work and create uh, towards dismantling white supremacy and settler colonialism. Uh, today's SNED session is a collaboration uh, with Dr. Mark Eprecht, who will be introducing our speakers and facilitating the discussion. Uh, Dr. Mark Eprecht is a professor in the departments of history and global development studies at Queen's University. Uh, his research explores social history in Southern Africa, especially the colonial era, uh, gender and sexuality more broadly, uh, especially cultural constructions of uh, non-normative sexualities and contestations around masculinities. His most recent book uh, co-authored with uh, Ian Edwards is uh, called Working Class Homosexuality in South African History, Voices from the Archives. Uh, thank you, Mark, for collaborating with us. Yes, well, thank you uh, to the whole uh, SNID team. Uh, for making this possible. And I also want to do a shout out to uh, Dr. Kukreja, Rina, um, who uh, first suggested this idea. It is a spin-off from a, a really great event uh, last, uh, I guess, February, the Real Out Film Festival, where um, the film we're about to um, uh, talk about was premiered for Canada, I believe, and also won a prize, uh, the best actor. So um, we thought that was such a, a striking film that we wanted to bring it to Queens as a, in, this, in the form of a SNID discussion. So I'm so happy that it's gonna happen uh, slowly but surely. So uh, welcome to, um, to our guests who are both in Windhoek, Namibia, uh, Philippe Talavera, is the director of the film, and he's going to go first and talk about the uh, talk about the film, and I, I think show us a, a couple of clips as well. So um, Philippe hails originally from France, but he's been living in Namibia for uh, 
yeah, more than two, two decades. And um, he uh, has a really interesting background, I have to say. Uh, I've never seen uh, anything quite like it. Uh, coming from a science background, PhD in, in veterinary science, and uh, also bio, uh, sorry, biotechnology or, or something. You know what I mean, it's uh, it's wild. Uh, but then um, has another side to them all together, which is um, on the performing arts side. And he's the founder of an organization called the uh, uh, the Obecha Ohinga organization, which focuses on raising social awareness through the arts, including dance and film. And uh, as a director, Philippe has done a number of films. Um, and prize winners uh, at that. So uh, um, welcome, Philippe. And our second guest is uh, Nashilong Gwishipwe Mushanda. And he comes to us from, uh, well, he's in Nam Namibia now and is Namibian, but he's doing his uh, PhD at the University of Cape Town. Cape Town and, and also has a, a really fascinating interdisciplinary uh, background and, and training. So. Uh, I'm quite interested uh, to hear more about and maybe read more about uh, um, Nashi's work in archives and public uh, culture, and particularly uh, uh, crit critical pedagogy and queer practice. So um, I'm, I'm fascinated to hear about that. So uh, Nashi is going to be offering a, uh, a discussion of Philippe's uh, work, and then we'll open it up to questions and, and comments from the whole group. So uh, welcome to our guests and uh, Philippe, we'll hand it over to you. Thank you. Um, first, apology to everybody. I got a bad flu. So my voice is um, a little bit strange, but I hope you can still hear me. Um, yeah, um, maybe just a little background before I show you a few clips. OYO, as mentioned by Mark, is an NGO. Uh, so we are not a film company. We are an NGO first and foremost, and we use art to create social awareness. So all our projects have an art component. It can be dance, it can be film, it can be theater, and all address a social issue. Over the last 20 years, we worked on many issues from HIV to gender-based violence, to teenage pregnancy, to child marriage. And in 2019, we had an opportunity to um, do a film on LGBTQI plus rights in Namibia. And maybe just to give a little background before we talk about the film, Namibia has inherited uh, old um, legislation, I guess. Um, so in Namibia, sodomy is still a crime. To be gay or lesbian is not a crime. What is a crime is a crime of sodomy. It's an, it's an old legislation that has been inherited from um, 1930 something. Um, so as a result, especially for gay people, um, they are very discriminated against, uh, stigmatized, um, but also um, how do you find your space in society if on the one hand we are told uh, you can be who you are, but on the other hand you can't love who you want to love. So we started talking about, um, about Kapana uh, and what story did we want to um, to portray. The reality of being gay in Namibia is complex um, and we um, invited two ladies to write the script. They did a lot of research before to write the script um, and there was a couple of issues we wanted to address. We wanted to address issues around 
um, discrimination, but also self-discrimination, issues around HIV and AIDS. It's obviously a huge topic in Namibia, uh, but ultimately we wanted to make it a love story. So we wanted, uh, since it's the first movie that is addressing LGBTQI plus issues in Namibia, we wanted to make sure that someone would be watching it from anywhere in Namibia, especially keeping in mind the idea of a young boy discovering his sexuality who could access a positive story. I mean, I, I'm, I think representation is important uh, and I wanted um, this person to be able to think maybe there is hope for me. If it's okay, I will share a few clips uh, from the film. And then we all know what we talk about. So I selected three parts. I don't know when I share the clips, if I can still talk at the same time. Um, probably not. Um, but the first part is just after the first meeting of George and Simeon. The second part is um, when things are going quite well between the two of them. And the last part is when, after Simeon has discovered that uh, Simon so after Simeon has discovered that George didn't tell him he was living with HIV. So um, I hope that will work. Um, and you will quickly scroll to where I need to go. So this is part one. Don't look so nervous. I'm not. You look good tonight. Of course you'd like it. You bought it. So this is what you like? Prim, proper. Then what are you doing <coughs> with a companion like me? Well, his companion is really nice and he's sexy. Hey man, not here. Here or anywhere. It's just never a safe space for us. Doesn't it frustrate you that we can't kiss and hold hands and and just be us? Even if we could, who says that I want to? I don't want everybody knowing you. Knowing what, huh? That you're gay. <coughs> I told you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that you're not gay. Is everything okay? Yes, thanks. Do you really have to come and check every few minutes? 
So what is this, huh? What are we doing here? Just chilling, having fun, Mos. Why do you always want to talk about these things? Why don't you? You talk too much. So you keep saying. But you know what can shut me up? Hey, man. <laughs> What are you doing with an office boy like me? Mm. <coughs> You're annoying me with all your questions, but you have a girl. Eh? <laughs> no, hard, but that too. <coughs> I don't like it here. Too many people. Well, we can always settle the bill and go home. I'd like that. Frida? Yeah. Can you please cover for me? I don't want to go into the staff room looking like this. Yeah, of course. I'll come back later, okay? Thanks. Okay, sure. Okay, man. Get out of here, go! Please let me explain. Explain what? You lied to me! I swear I was gonna tell you. But you didn't! I swear I was gonna tell you every day, but it was just getting harder and harder, and I didn't want to lose you. So you just keep quiet? You don't tell a person you have a disease that could kill him? Well, it's not as bad as you think. It's not the killer disease it used to be. It's it's HIV we're talking about, not the fucking flu! What I meant to say is that it's manageable. And I've been living healthy for the past six years. I would like to continue living a healthy life. Simeon, we always used condoms. I had the right to know. Simeon, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but for once, I just wanted to... Don't worry, the mafia is going. Go, and never come back here again. Oh, my God. 
So yeah, <clears throat> here it was. Um, maybe I should hand over to Nashi um, or to Mark. Um, I'm not sure what is next. <laughs> um, can I go? Okay, I'll go. <laughs> Hi everyone, good evening. Um, thank you, thank you for inviting us. Thank you for having us, Mark. Um, and really, really wonderful to be invited to think about this work and to 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 give a commentary or or or, or, or think together about it um, as a remarkable film. It's quite a groundbreaking film. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I have not seen a Namibian film that has gone to so many festivals in the world in such a short period of time, right? So as small as the Namibian uh, film industry is and as much as it's growing now, I think Kapana really stands out um, um, as, as a production, and I'm still wondering why and how. What is it that it does so well that it's able to go from festival to festival, from nomination to nomination, from award to award? So for me, I think there, there's already something really profound and very significant just with regard to um, the the thinking about even the idea of Namibian queer cinema, right? Um, not so long ago, two years ago, last year, this year actually, I, I published an article where I was writing about how extremely, extremely heteronormative the Namibian cinematic landscape is um, and how almost the queer stuff often falls into the cracks of that archive of the cinematic landscape of Namibia. Uh, it goes into the cracks, it goes into the margins because it's either not created um, um, in, 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 within the industry that it's often sometimes um, fragments and it's often left in the margins of the cracks. And what Kapana does is it brings the queer and the queer stuff and the non-normative sexualities to the front, which is almost unusual. But it's not so unusual anymore uh, in the Namibian context because today we can think about the queer scene, if I can call it that, the queer community, the LGBTIQ community, as a community that is becoming more and more visible in Namibia. Um, so there's a, there's a lot more happening. For example, I mean, theater, for example, is one place to look at where there's more and more um, queer theater, for example, happening or queer happenings or queer events. Um, here in the city of Ventuk, for example, something like drag nights is quite popular right now. Um, and I think this is just a culmination of of years and years and years and years and years and years of advocating 
Um, but I think it's also something to do with the now, the current moment. And that's where Kapana emerges currently now um, as, 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 a, as a successful story. Uh, because perhaps, I don't know if it has to do with the fact that we are globally, we are in a, this decolonial turn. I'm speaking under correction. Um, or if the internet has something to do with it, or if the new generation, um, and new generation being the people who are younger than I am, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm 34 years old. So I'm born just before Namibia's independence in 1987. But we find that the, what, what are called the Gen Zs, the Generation Z, there's a lot more that they, I don't know how to put it, that they enable or make visible. Um, and understandably so, because, and here I'm referring to Professor Brown's article on, 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 on the presidential silencing and silences when it comes to LGBTQI issues in the last three decades of Namibia's independence, that there's been this major, major, major silence and silencing when it comes to queer issues. Um, and the first one with president, um, the founding father, president, uh, former president, um, Sem Nyoma, who declared uh, out loud in a public space um, that homosexuals and lesbians do not belong in Namibia. And that silencing, um, that, 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 that threatening gesture had done a lot of, has, had pushed a lot of even activists into, into hiding and into silencing, right? Uh, and then followed by Fikepunya Pohamba and Hage Gengo, who've not, ne who've not necessarily rejected out loud in public uh, homosexuals and queer people and trans people, but have just said nothing. So there's something particularly now, the, the current moment, um, and I think Kapana is part of that side, guys, that moment of, 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 of revolution, of queer revolution, of making the queer archive, right? Uh, when we speak about African queer theory, um, we often want to say and argue, the, the immediate thing is to say that, where do we start? There are so many fragments. Or when we speak about the archive, the African queer archive, the Namibian queer archive, there is a lot of fragments and scattered stuff. So that's not to say there are no archives. Of course, the archives are there, um, but they are so scattered, they're in the cracks and they're in the margins. And what Kapana is doing with its international recognition, with, 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 with pushing this subject into the Namibian public discourse is, 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 is quite profound. And I wanna speak about the idea of Kapana, which I find quite interesting that um, Philippe and the writers decided to make that as kind of the, the, the conceptual basis of the work, right? Where the work begins, it begins at Kapana and with Kapana, Kapana being the grilled meat, uh, quite popularly known here in Namibia, uh, a huge tourist attraction, um, small grilled meat where it's just cut like this and you eat it with what we call salsa, which is a mixture of vegetables. So you can have some 
fat cook or some bread from the market. But my own memory of Tapana is because I grew up in Katutura, which is the township here in Ventuk. My own memory of Tapana is women carrying the pots of carrying the pots of cooked meat and they walk around in the location selling this cooked meat, right? But today that's almost forgotten and they still do it. But when you just say kapana or okapana, people often think you have to go to single quarters and that's where this meat is, you know, served. but it actually has a very much longer history. And in fact, when you get to those grilled spaces, behind in the background are the women. Why am I telling this story? Um, because kapana is, has a history, has a particular history as a food for migrant laborers. Or kapana, it basically just means a small meat in a small pot, in a pen. Or kapana, right? It's food of migrant laborers, particularly men who worked in migrant um, uh, in, 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 in the cities and often when they went to bed because they were not allowed to travel with their families, they would be served okapana and that's how it, 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 it came about. So that's the history of the work. But I think there in itself, in that history of migrant laborers and men, for example, in itself, what we haven't discovered what we haven't explored as Namibian queer theorists is even the homosexual practices uh, and the, the, uh, uh, the, the intimacies between those men uh, in that context of during apartheid, during colonial times, living in a hostel, sharing, eating kapana. So already I think this, what, what, what for me, the film does for me is it, immediately points me to that history. And it makes me wonder and it makes me think about that piece of archive and how it is possibly continued in the film currently. So Kapana is a very interesting conceptual choice for me. Um, and, therefore, and therefore, I think it really adds to the, to the cinematic archive, to the queer cinema archive in different ways not only in ways that it's, it's become this award-winning international success story film, but also because it becomes almost, and I might be wrong, it's definitely not the first queer film, right? Because there are, there are some documentaries here and there um, that do touch on queer issues, but it's the first feature film in Namibian cinematic landscape. It's the first queer feature film. Um, and what it does is, while it's doing so well, performing on the one side, internationally, on the one side, we are somehow advocating for the decriminalization of the sodomy law and the, the, the abortion, abortion, um, abortion, the laws, and which are all laws that were inherited from colonial times. But I think what, what it then shows us is that it, 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 it comes at a time when all these questions are being asked and we are being asked to, as a nation, we're being asked to really think 
um, and question if these laws work for us. And that does something. It, it mobilizes more and more critical consciousness, queer consciousness in the public imagination. That's for me what I appreciate about this film. Um, it's, it's quite a sad story for a love story. So I think it works for now, I think as, as a first feature film, um, but I'm really interested to, and while solidarity is important in queer and feminist work, in anti-racist work, um, I'm really pushed to think about and imagine us telling these stories, queer stories, beyond, beyond the struggle. And, and I know that the struggle is the immediate thing. You think queer, you think struggle, because that's the reality, right? And I wonder, hopefully, that what I'm thinking for the Namibian queer archives, let me not even say queer archives, queer archives is pleasure, which we do see in the film, we see pleasure, we see joy, um, contrasting obviously to, to, to the sadness and the violence and the soul, the HIV. So I would like to see more and more pleasure um, from this point of view, generally in African queer cinema, I think, um, there needs to be zoomed more and more into pleasure. Um, but I think also that it, it and speaking of today's topic, which is quite um, profound, which is uh, around challenging male um, sexualities in Namibia, I think it's also a very important film that should be seen. And I'm speaking from the Namibian context where intimacy is almost unstudied, um, so we'll speak about HIV, but we don't speak about intimacy, right? It's almost like HIV comes just from, but sex and sexuality is about intimacy. And there's very, 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 very little theoretical and conceptual work around intimacy. We have now a book by, where is that book? Sorry, I have it here. Okay, I don't find it. It's a book by Jack, Bol Jack Bolton, uh, who is a, 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 a scholar from the UK, anthropologist who studied men, intimacy and relatedness in Swakopmund. And that becomes one of the first few, maybe let me not say first, but one of the very few extensive uh, work around intimacy and the implications of intimacy, particularly with men, intimacy in the context, in the relationships of men, how does that play out? And that's why I appreciate the, the, the links that you just shared, um, Philippe, that intimacy becomes this place of tension, right? It becomes a place of joy and pleasure. And I'm speaking of male queer intimacy here. 
black male queer intimacy, place of pleasure and joy behind closed doors and in the public space that shifts and it becomes this violence and rejection and, you know, and, and, and that stuff, there's a, there's a tension there that remains unresolved. And of course, we know where it comes from. We have to, again, and that's why I started with a historical context, that we have to look at Black men in Namibia. What is their history, right? We, we come from a history of contract labor, um, of being um, emasculated, dehumanized, um, um, and, and, and intimacy almost becomes this thing that we do, which we actually do, but in a way, it's not quite a safe space. The intimate space is not quite a safe space. And perhaps I'm generalizing here, but um, yeah, um, it's the history for me, it's the concept of Kapana uh, and how it's yes, this touristic attraction, but it's also this, this, this city culture and this is the history of the city and how this masculinity marked in that. Um, and the silencing and the intimacy um, and, 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 and how all of this is kind of, there's a lot of tension happening in producing the queer archive. And this is how we are able to produce the queer archive because we have to kind of resolve and negotiate ourselves through all these steps. I'll stop there for now. Maybe um, just react on two things that um, that you mentioned, um, Nash. I think one of the first um, comments you made is that uh, Capena has been quite successful internationally. And that's a question we ask ourselves in the beginning, why? Because it's, it's quite a simple story in many ways that it's in the cinematographic point of view. And we uh, try to get feedback from some of the festivals we were at. Uh, and one interesting comment has been that uh, there's not been a lot of African, I'm not talking just about Namibian, but African um, queer stories in movies. And many of those uh, films have been quite dramatic. The reality is that uh, in many countries, the experience is quite dramatic. So in many countries, the experience that your parents will kick you out of the house, the police will abuse you. Um, the, the, there's a lot, of, a lot of negative stories. And a lot of the movies made in Africa have related to those stories, um, whether it is Rafiki, Mofi, uh, and a few other examples. But there has been a lot of stories that portray hope and love. So I think that's one of the reasons why Capana has in some ways worked because um, yes, there are tension. Yes, there is a bit of sadness, you mentioned it, um, but it's not just a story uh, about rejection, about uh, police abuse, about parents kicking you out of the house. It's first and foremost, a story between two men. And your second point, which is to mention intimacy, 
was something we were very interested with the, with the writers. Um, and one of the interesting comments from a lot of people we interviewed is, um, where do you go? There's no gay club, there's no gay bar, there's not really many places where you can meet. And then when you eventually meet someone um, in the African context, in the Zambian context, you hardly ever live alone at home. So you won't bring this one night stand back home where your mom, dad, auntie, uh, someone could walk in. Um, so where do you have sex? And very often you have sex um, in public spaces like um, the toilet at the bar or in the car or in, in some space, but it's always quite short and there's always a risk of being discovered. And when there is no safe space, how do you develop intimacy? Um, how, do you, how do you get to know the other person? How do you really enjoy being with the other person? when all you think about is um, we got five minutes uh, and we have to make it quick because otherwise we will be discovered. So the fact that, that we live in a society where there's not many safe spaces make intimacy really complicated uh, and make relationships very complicated. Um, it also boils down to when do you talk to your partner? I mean, you meet one time, you meet two times, you meet three times, um, it's always five minutes, five minutes in the car, five minutes there. When do you address issues such as HIV, such as your dreams, such as um, who you are? How do you, how do you get to know the other person when you don't really have those safe spaces? And that was something that we were interested in looking at in Capana. And I'm glad you mentioned um, intimacy because I find that was one of the hardest challenge is how, how do we get to get those two characters to become intimate? Um, because the reality is that it does not happen that often. Um, so that was, um, that was a big question. Great. Yeah. So um, I think we could invite, oh, Am I getting feet, uh, uh, here? I'm having some technical issues here. Sorry. Uh, I'd like to invite uh, the, the audience to, uh, you can either send a, a note in chat or put your hand up and I'll, I'll, um, I'll let you ask your question or a comment. And uh, meanwhile, I'll just make one comment uh, that's very interesting, what you said, Nashi, about Kapana as, um, as having an echo to this historical migrant labor. And that's actually what the book that Aisha mentioned I have there. Um, the archive there is from South Africa of African men and, and boys, actually, you know, young, very young men and, and actual boys in the same-sex relations going back to uh, the early 20th century. So uh, no Namibians showed up in that particular archive though. So uh, yeah, so um, yeah, let me uh, open it up and, and maybe while we're waiting for hands to, to come up, I'll, I'll ask uh, Philippe and, and Nashi both, you're, you mentioned uh, the times are changing perhaps, but I noticed in your, your neighborhood, like um, Botswana last year, 
I think it was last year or maybe it was the year before, um, struck down the old colonial law. And that's now the state is now challenging that law. But uh, personally, I don't think it has much chance. Uh, the the uh, ruling overturning the British law against uh, unnatural, I think it was unnatural acts, uh, was very strong. And Angola has similarly uh, decriminalized the Portuguese, the old Portuguese law. So the neighborhood seems to be changing finally for the better, at least on the legal front. So I don't know what what you can say, what the state of the situation is in uh, in Namibia these days. Uh, Philippe, do you want to go? No, you can go. Okay. Uh, okay, I'll go and then you can maybe add. Um, well, I think there's a lot more, as you mentioned there, um, that, that there is kind of this wind that's moving in the region, uh, Mozambique, Angola, Botswana, South Africa, a long time ago. Um, there is, it, it's, that kind of puts pressure um, and it's not just a regional thing. I think it's an international thing. It puts pressure on Namibia to, to speak about these issues um, because for a very long time in our democracy, um, the public discourse focused on what is considered as bread and butter issues, right? Um, but because the new generation, and I'm speaking from the new generation of activism and thinking um, and, 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 and discourse, there isn't this hierarchy of primary issues, secondary issues, because people understand how interconnected struggles are. Somehow the, the queer issues seem to just keep coming to the front. So unlike in the past where they would come up and they would get shoved under the carpet um, and the activists would have to go back to the drawing board, what seems to be more prevalent these days is that while we are on the streets fighting against gender-based violence and we are in this protest, we are making connections to queer issues. Right? While we are on the streets uh, or going to parliament for a hearing on abortion law, which is the first time in 20 years uh, about why this law needs to be decriminalized. In there, we are making connection to, to trans issues. So there's something, I think, I, I think I'm crediting it a lot to to the activist space. I think the academic space still needs to catch up. Um, the idea of a Namibian queer scholarship, we still need to kind of define that because that in itself, like the archive is in fragments, but there's something really profound that's happening in the activist space, particularly with the youth activists. There's this, there's this pushing forward and pushing the issues to the fore that, that these two are bread and butter issues. These two are economic issues. Um, 
so and I guess what what that's the process that some of these countries that decriminalized these laws had to go through is that there was robust dialogue continuously uh, and robust claiming of space, reclaiming of space and saying, we also below, we also deserve a place on the table and we will be heard. Um, and what happens is that more and more, there seems to be, it seems to be pushed into, into the decision-making um, um, spaces. I don't quite know how to describe it, but there is a turn, there is a turn and that turn is about visibility. It's about intersectionality, right? That our struggles are interconnected, they are not separate. And it's also about, I think it's also about the moment, the moment, the internet plays a very big role. Twitter plays a very big role in a lot of this. Uh, we have Pride Week that's coming up in end of the month and it's a whole, it's now probably the fourth or fifth year um, that's happened in a row, uh, but it's becoming this coalition of activist non-governmental organizations. Um, and, and my thing is always that the scholarship needs to pick up. And for the first time, for example, last year, I saw that there are LGBTIQ societies at the University of Namibia, uh, Namibia University of Science and Technology, which is, when I was studying there, it was almost non-existent, which was 10 years ago. So there's a shift, there's a turn, and that turn can be credited to all these things, the internet, the moment, the current moment, there's something about the current Black Lives Matter moment. There's just something there that's sweeping across. Every, and it's wonderful. It's when I started my PhD four years ago, I'm about to finish now, I was writing about why there isn't much transgression in performance studies in Namibia. Can't even speak about a thing as performance studies, right? There isn't much transgression in practice. Uh, there isn't much querying. Four years down the line, look where we are. We have Kapana and a lot more. <laughs> I almost want to say cheers, but it's probably too early. Philippe, maybe you want to add? No, I think you're right. I think we couldn't have done Kapana 10 years ago. Uh, I think there is something about now and, and the moment um, that it's, it's the right time. Um, 10 years ago wouldn't have worked. We would have been completely censored. Uh, the censorship would have refused um, Kapana. Um, coming back to your comment, Mark, why are we a bit behind compared to Botswana, compared to Angola, compared to, um, to our neighbors? I think there's a combination of factors. Jack mentioned uh, in the beginning that um, um, the founding father, um, um, a president Nuyoma um, remarks uh, are still very vivid uh, and he's, he's a very powerful figure. Uh, he's a founding father. And what he says or what he said still hold a lot of value, especially in the older generation. 
Um, so um, that's one stumping block um, that, um, that will take time uh, because basically if the current politics were saying, yes, we decriminalize, they would at the same time say the founding father was wrong. And that's something that I guess is very difficult to do. Um, in the current political environment, uh, as mentioned by Nashi, the current president has not said anything, neither for nor against, but unfortunately neither for. Um, we do have, however, some good politicians. We have a good minister of justice and she's quite open-minded. So I think that's also the right time. Uh, for the first time we have someone at the Ministry of Justice that is I think, willing to listen to, um, to those issues and that is clever enough to understand the importance of those issues. So we have some good people in place, which we didn't have five years ago, uh, but we're still dragging um, yeah, some of the former founding fathers um, idea, concept. Um, Namibia also remains a very um, Christian society, at least when um, Christianity can serve. <laughs> so people also hide a lot behind the Bible when um, they don't want to confront um, change. Um, change is sometimes scary, but um, yeah, um, we, have to, we have to go through. But uh, as Nashi said, there's a lot of things happening right now. A lot of young people who are brilliant, who are outspoken. Um, and I think, I hope, what happened in the neighbor's country is putting a bit of pressure on us as well. Um, why are we behind? Um, we should not need, in the 21st century, we should not need a story like Capana, honestly. Uh, we should have sorted out those issues 30 years ago. So um, it's, um, it's good that there is this pressure and I hope things will be moving. It's slow, but hopefully it will be moving. And uh, what about the, the reception there in Namibia? Have you had press coverage? Yeah, we did have a good reception, actually. We couldn't show it uh, as often and to as big numbers of people as we wanted because of COVID. So very often, um, we had a restriction of 50 people, or maximum 100 people. So that made it slightly more difficult to use. But um, we had um, quite a few screenings. And they led to a lot of discussion, which is what I think is important. I think we can't change the queer discourse without involving the non-queer community. Um, and I think it's important to have discussion with everybody. We had one screening in particular, which I really, really uh, enjoyed. It was in Katutura, uh, in, uh, in Soweto. Uh, and um, one of the actors was from the area and he wanted us to show it to the community. And I thought, oh my goodness, uh, how will it work? Um, it's, uh, it was in a very Oshibambo-speaking um, community. Um, and uh, I thought that would be an interesting experience. And in the beginning, you could see that people were mocking 
the two guys, um, George and Simon. Uh, and sort of middle of the film when there is a sex scene, um, there was a lot of ha 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 type of comments. But as the film moved on, um, then the discourse of the audience changed. And towards the end, when, uh, when Simeon is going back to, um, to um, George and George is not quite sure, there were quite a lot of people in the audience um, and that's a very ambient thing. People talk to the actor, I mean, talk to the film. <laughs> uh, but there was quite a lot of people telling George, come on now, you've made your point, go back to Simeon. And I find it so amazing that they had sort of forgotten it was two men. Um, and they got involved in the story and they realized it's two people, more than two men. And that in this specific community, in, in the art of this very Oshibombo speaking, community from Katutura, um, the reaction of the people was, come on, you made your point, go back to him. Um, you can see he loves you, um, say yes, yes, yes. And when um, when the end, it takes the campana and they share it, people were clapping their hands. And I thought that's wonderful. Uh, and we had an amazing discussion with that community after. Um, so I wish we could do it more. And I wish, uh, I mean, we have to go also outside of Winduk we, we show it in some places, like in like in the south, but we haven't shown it everywhere yet. Um, so it will be interesting to see as well how different communities react to um, to the film. But we don't expect everybody to agree. What we expect is people to start talking about it and start realizing that George and Simeon are people. Um, and are first and foremost people. Before being gay, there are people. And as people, they have the right to be happy. And they have the right to love who they want to love. Um, and they have the right to, um, to create a family. Great. So, um... Let me just throw it out. I see in the, in the group here today, we've got people from all over the world. Their research, uh, Cuba and uh, Diane Zambia. And uh, yeah, there's Jennifer, Cuba. And uh, uh, Rena was there, Aicha, Turkey. What, uh, what's your thoughts on this? Uh, is it a moment in the place of your, your research? Aicha, yeah, you got your hand up there, please. <laughs> yeah, thank you, folks. Really, I appreciate this uh, so much. Um, I mean, I think it's a good follow-up question, you know, Mark, uh, following your uh, comment. I was wondering, you know, I'm also thinking about this current moment that Nashi described so eloquently, you know, what is this moment that, you know, the queer revolution or the revolution, whatever it is, you know, feels so close. And I was wondering, you know, like you mentioned internet, Gen Z, et cetera, et cetera, um, the, the colonial turn in academia, in, 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 uh, in art sector, et cetera. I was wondering um, where do you place diaspora uh, in general uh, in this current moment? Um, Let's take that one, then. 
Would you like to take it, Mark? <laughs> oh, no, not me. No. <laughs> You're there right on the one. front line. The yeah. one. I think diaspora is very at the center of that. And, 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 and again, I go back to the point of the internet and what the internet has made possible, um, that people are able to see so much than before uh, of themselves in other places. Um, they're able to see traces of their histories, our histories um, in other places, thanks to, to the diaspora, um, thanks, to, thanks to the internet. Um, so I think there's a very big, perhaps from a queer theory point of view, uh, African queer theory particularly, African queer theory, at least the contemporary African queer theory, because we can speak of, for example, rock art as, 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 a, as a piece of African queer theory, right? But contemporary African queer theory for me is developed hand in hand with scholars in the diaspora. So if you think about the work that, um, and people who've developed this, um, such as um, Dr. Stella Nyanzi, Kegura Macharia, who've conceptualized this thing as African queer theory, that stuff was being developed in hand in hand with scholars who were not only on the continent, but also scholars who were in the diaspora. So in the very same way that I made reference, for example, to Black Lives Matter, um, last year in Namibia, there was a turn of protest, but it's, a, it's not the usual protest. So in the first two decades of Namibia, Namibian independence, we've been protesting, we were just, take our petition, we walk nicely and we go and read it out and then we discuss and go home. But last year, there was this overt, um, deliberate transgression. For example, we'll not tell the police that we are going to protest, we'll just turn up. Um, and there was this series of protests, there was a movement called Shut It All Down. But before that we had a, another, um, the, the, the legalized abortion, um, uh, decriminalized abortion. Before that, we had a Black Lives Matter. And all of these things, I think, were, yes, it's our own agency as young Namibians, as young people here, but it's also a lot. Yeah, sorry, Nashi, we seem to have lost your uh, your sound. Oh, and the picture's frozen too. Oh dear. Um, hmm. All right. <clears throat> what do we do about this? Uh, <laughs> uh, he will. He will probably join in. Uh, it seems like yeah, he lost into that connection. Felipe, um, maybe you know, do we have? Um, have we lost? 
Yeah. Yeah. The, <laughs> We've lost them all together. Or uh, no, uh, Philip is here. Yeah, no, I'm here, but um well, there he is. He's in the waiting room. Yeah, here, oh, here he comes. Okay. Nashi, are you there? Oh, there you are. Yes, you disappeared on us. Yeah. Sorry. Great, welcome back. Where did I stop? Uh, was it where I was speaking about that we were, see we were making all these protests, but we were seeing what was happening in the States. We were seeing, yes. we were thinking about FISMAS 4, which had just happened three, four, five years ago. We were thinking about, you know, we were just, it's, it's the zeitgeist. So I think for me, the place of the diaspora is in, is, in, is in the concept and the idea of international solidarity that is heightened by, by somehow the internet. The internet plays a very, 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 very big role um, in it. Um, yeah. Cool. Other thoughts? Carolyn. Thank you so much. This was oh, yeah, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And I have to admit that I haven't seen the film yet, but I'm now very excited to see the film. I watched the trailer before, but um, yeah, it's it sounds really, really incredible. Um, so I'm, I want to pick on up on one of the themes that has been circulating here around um, like digital mediation um, technology. And this actually goes back to something that both Felipe and Nashi you were speaking about. I'm wondering how digital spaces and social media um, might operate as avenues for new kinds of intimacies, and then also how they might be networks for sharing cultural artifacts beyond that of struggle. So like, mm -hmm. our, like circulations of, I don't know, like documentaries, films, even like images that maybe open space beyond discourses of struggle. Mm -hmm. I, th I, think, I think there's a lot there. I think there's a lot that um, the digital space, digital spaces play. Um, it, maybe I can, because I only see Kapana on Twitter trending and, you know, doing the pots and doing all the nice things. Maybe I can uh, uh, ask Philippa to speak a bit about how, how the digital space, um, uh, Facebook, Twitter, has kind of enabled um, and contributed to, to Kapana, whether it's in the process of making it, but also in the distribution of it. Um, but I think yeah. there's a lot there. There's a lot um, that the media, that the, the, the digital space can do without obviously romanticizing the digital because the digital is also not as safe as we want it to be. Um, um, yeah, so for example, on Twitter, good critique stuff that comes out there, but there's also a lot of critique that can be directed towards, towards that space, right? So, Philippe. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, um, social media in general uh, and digital media are, I would 
two-way things. They can be an amazing tool and they can be a dangerous um, tool because um, as much as people can write positive critical positive messages, um, they can also write homophobic um, comments and um, and um, criticize uh, whatever we try to do. So it's, it's a fine line um, to move on. Uh, and I think it really depends on who is in your circle. Um, basically, uh, an interesting side story, for example, my social media was completely hacked. Uh, my Twitter in particular was completely hacked following um, Capana. And then some people started to receive strange messages from me, uh, which were not from me. Um, so it, it's a double edge, uh, it's a double edge tool. On the positive side, it allows you to reach more people than you would by face-to-face um, traditional medium. Um, you can suddenly go in the north, the south, in the east and the west of the country, uh, and even beyond um, countries like we are doing now. We don't have this discussion if it was not for the digital, um, digital world. Um, for me, I'm from the older generation, I guess, it doesn't really replace the face-to-face. And in terms of um, making a change and, and allowing a space to discuss is not the same. It's safe on, on social media. You write your little comment. Um, nobody sees you. You can hide behind your screen. Um, but at the same time, do you really, really, really ask what you want to ask? Um, do you really, really make the comment you want to make? Um, the screen can act as a protector but it can also act as a barrier um, that you you don't um, dare um, saying what you really want to say. Um, for us, it has been a good tool in terms of advertising, um, in terms of um, of yeah, just showing uh, either the award or the festivals we're on but also um, the screenings we're organizing in Namibia. So it has been a good advertising tool, but we haven't used it that much as a discussion tool. Um, and in part is because a couple of times when we tried, we got three, four nice comments, and then suddenly a very homophobic comment. And what do you do? Do you, do you discard this comment uh, and, um, and hide it or whatever? Um, or how do you get a discussion? Because those are actually the people you want to change and those are the people you want to have an interaction with. So um, it does become quickly a bit of a problematic space. So we stopped using it as a discussion platform and rather you use it as a sharing of information type of uh, platform. It'd be wonderful speaking of, uh archives, um, um, you know, the Gay and Lesbian Memory in Action in Johannesburg is, is probably the only actual archive in a conventional sense that we think of, and it, it's, it's got some really great collections, um, and some of it is being digitized, so it will be possible to go in there and do archival work from anywhere in the world, um, and so I'm, I'm hoping, Philippe, you'll get some of the correspondence and the, the notes on the production process 
uh, in the archive there, and we'll all be able to see not just the film, but we'll we'll be able to understand the um, the whole production process, uh, including you know how you. I'd be interested uh, to tell us more about your lead actor, for example, uh, who who won the prize here at uh, in Kingston last year, and how how you recruited him and convinced him to to step into such a controversial role. Well, uh, Adriano was easy to convince because I had worked with Adriano before. So um, I've, um, I've known Adriano for, I don't know, six, seven, eight years. Uh, and I've worked with him before. And he's a fantastic actor. And, and we have a very good um, relationship, I think. So I think he trusts me. I trust him. Uh, he, was, uh, he was an easy recruit uh, in, in many ways. Uh, the one that was difficult was Simon um, to uh, to recruit the character of Simeon was uh, was much much harder, and a lot of actors I had in mind rejected the part. They felt it was too dangerous, uh, and they felt it was too controversial to be uh, to be uh, the black man in that uh, in that movie. So I had quite a lot of rejection from quite a lot of actors I admire and I really wanted to work um, with. So feeling uh, Simeon's part was, uh, was, was much, much, much um, harder. Eventually we had to go through the process of doing audition uh, with people who had little to no experience. So meeting Simon who is playing Simeon um, was a chance encounter. Uh, and Simon had never been on screen before. He'd never acted um, before. And I think he saw it as an opportunity, as an opportunity to be noticed uh, and maybe go a bit faster than other actors would go by taking on this quite controversial um, part. Um, but yeah, um, Adriano was a very easy pick and a very easy um, negotiation um, because uh, of the history we have of working together. Um, and I knew he would do um, George. Um, I knew he would portray him well um, because Adriano is passionate. But um, what he does, he really spent a lot of time discussing and discovering the character. And I knew he would do it justice. Um, I I knew he would find the nuances um, that were needed between this fairly outspoken, outgoing person. And yet having this secret inside uh, that he does not know how to um, how to deal with. So yeah, um, but you're right. I mean, documenting all this process would be very interesting. Um, I would not mention which actor refused the part. I think that wouldn't be fair <laughs> on them. Uh, but um, but the reality is that a lot of actors. Um, refused to be part of Capana. And I think those who are part of Capana are all allies in many ways. Uh, and they all really wanted, <coughs> it was, a, it was a, everything or nothing. Either they were really passionate and they really, really, really wanted to be in the film or they didn't want to be in the film at all. There was nobody that was in the middle. Uh, and those who were in the film really wanted to make a point, really wanted to address those issues really wanted to be part of the movement. Uh, and as allies, for a lot of them, 
they really wanted to show that they are there and they wanted to tell the story. Great. So um, any other questions from our, our guests? I know your voice is, uh, we're putting a lot of pressure on you, Philippe, but um, we're just about out of time. But if, if there's anyone else who wants to share some of their own experiences in this uh, particular struggle, uh, that would be fantastic. So um, we have a hand up, Mark. Uh, oh, I see uh, Diane there. Yes. Okay. Please, Diane. Hi. Um, I'm Diane. I'm one of Mark's um, PhD candidates, but um, I don't really have a question so much as a, a comment, I guess. Um, my research um, focuses on Zambia, and I was there um, in 2019, so just before COVID, and I was at a um, a music festival. It's kind of like a, an outdoor event, a beer garden, fresh food, um, and uh, some performers. And there was one performer there who um, my friends were telling me, you know, this man is openly gay. And I mean, he was very well received, you know, in the community. And I just, it really got me thinking about how, yeah, I think the times are changing, right? Because within kind of the younger generations, the younger crowds, um, nobody seemed to have an issue with this. It wasn't a controversy. It wasn't anything scandalous. It was, you know, everyone's enjoying themselves, having a good time. And, and um, even some of the friends I was with um, definitely come from a more religious community. You know, um, the, the, the Bible influenced the church, as you were saying um, earlier, I think, Nashi. Um, everyone was just kind of cool with it. And so I was kind of asking my friends, like, is this, is this the change that's coming? Are we going to see this in our lifetime, in the next 10 years, in the next five years, um, kind of, kind of um, become decriminalized, destigmatized and all that. And they were saying, mm, maybe more like the next 50 years, you know? Um, but I, I definitely think um, with this moment of, of all these other um, BLM and, and, and movements that are happening, as Nashi was saying, it really resonated with me that um, as, we're fighting one struggle on the ground, it's impossible not to touch upon these different struggles, you know, when it comes to abortion rights and trans rights and how these things are so interconnected. I, I really appreciated that point. Um, and like Carolyn was saying, I haven't seen the film yet. I'm, I'm really excited to, but I'm also interested, I guess, in how um, the racial dimensions um, between this couple maybe play out because um, Philippe, you were saying how um, you made the distinction between one of them being the black man and uh, the the um, tensions of, I guess, being colored as opposed to black in Southern Africa, that's a whole history in of itself. But um, yeah, I guess that's my two cents since Mark kind of called me out there. So <laughs> thank you for this, it's great. But I don't know if I can go uh, <clears throat> in the detail of it um, before making it a long story. But when we did the research and uh, we worked with the writers in the community, um, Namibia is, is, is the second least populated country in the world, but we have 12 um, ethnic groups. And not all the ethnic groups have the same relation to homosexuality. Um, some ethnic groups are more, um, are more, um, some ethnic groups are more um, open-minded than others. Um, and, um, and, it's not necessarily a, a question of color and 
black or white, but um, we wanted to have two characters, one coming from a more open-minded society and one coming from a more close-minded um, society. And Simeon is Oshimambo speaking, but it could have been Silozi or it could have been um, Ochierero. And uh, Adriano is colored, but it could have been Damara, for example. So we wanted to have that dimension as well, that um, they come from two different backgrounds. And um, their family or their friends also doesn't have the same uh, approach to uh, being gay or lesbian or trans or um, anything in between. Uh, so that was a choice. It was a deliberate choice to have um, two people from two different communities um, that, um, that um, would be together. What is interesting, uh, and very few people noticed it in the movie, but the community that is more open-minded, actually they never talk about it. And even when George and Simon break up in the middle, um, the mom is always talking about food. Um, the brother is always talking about games. Uh, so they are accepting him, but they never talk about it. Um, when the one that is more close-minded, eventually when he's got his confrontation with his sister in the end, then they suddenly talk about it. Uh, and a much, much more honest way uh, than the apparently open-minded. And it was interesting for us because open-mindedness for a lot of people means just we accept you. And it's not, it's not what it should mean. Uh, it should mean we accept you, but we are also willing to talk about those things with you. Um, and it was very interesting, the wall, writing the whole section after the breakup about how does the mom react? How does the brother react? Uh, it was very interesting because in actual fact, they never talked to him about it. Um, and that's something that we can talk a lot about it, I think, but um, it will take time, but we need to get to those spaces where accepting does not just mean, okay, we agree, you can be whatever you want, we just don't talk about it. That's not really accepting. Um, so um, yeah. I hope it makes sense with my hands. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe I can just add that. I think what you're pointing to is, is the complexities in this notion of recognizing or acknowledging or acceptance. It's really, I, I love that because I think it captures, uh, because what I find is often the discourse says, ah, this ethnic group is more conservative, this ethnic group is more um, open uh, because you find that their children live openly in that sense compared to, for example. But of course, it's always a lot more complicated than that. It's always more complex um, and that you actually find those nuances that you just referred to, Philippe, those specific examples that even in the conservative ethnic group or community, once a, 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 a border is crossed, then it becomes almost easy to speak about it, right? Uh, whereas to even sometimes in a community where it's supposedly accepted, um, would rather talk about food 
um, um, as kind of as a way to express the love, um, the acceptance, <laughs> quite interesting um, dynamics, I think. And I think that kind of sums up quite very well how complex, how complex these, 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 these communities are. Hmm. Great, and uh, that's a pretty good place to, to wrap it up. I think we, um, we have to uh, close it up now. So um, I wanna thank everyone and especially Philippe and Nashi. And I, I love the, uh, the positivity that's coming out of the talk because that often is, is definitely missing when we get onto this topic in Southern Africa and uh, Africa more broadly. And uh, maybe I'll, I'll send you a link to it. Just yesterday, I, I saw a new uh, opinion poll it's, uh, by a reputable, I think it's Afrobarometer. Because um, South Africa, you know, it's got a great constitution and it's ahead of the pack in terms of, of guaranteeing rights and this and that. But um, the narrative has always been, yeah, that there's that constitution, but the popular uh, culture is, is pretty hostile and, and close-minded about this. But this, this poll, I'll send it to you, uh, was showing a pretty remarkable uh, shift in attitudes and uh, towards more, yeah, acceptance. What does that mean? You know, that's, but from where it was, you know, which was pretty, pretty hostile, um, it, there's been a shift, yeah. So it's, anyways, thank you so much, Philippe, for, uh, and Nashi and your own work to contributing to that shift. I'm sure it's, uh, it's really, really important. So thanks again. And um, hopefully we'll get the film here uh, again. Uh, maybe we have it uh, real out, maybe has it still. We'll, we'll, we'll make the effort. But uh, thank you, everybody. And uh, hopefully we'll cross paths one day uh, again. Soon. Thank you. All right. Thanks, folks. Yeah, bye bye. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Hope to Go see ahead. everybody next week as well. All righty. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples, and brought to you by the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science.